0: There we go. We are back again for another fantastic episode of Friday Night Counter-Attack. I just have to apologise to everyone because it's hay fever season. It's not the best of seasons for me to be recording a podcast. But this one is quite a special one for me because I've been looking forward to hearing from someone who's actually worked harder than I have all year long because the amount of work at university and at work and on the podcast that I do, I always say to everyone, you know what, I'm the busiest person around, but I'm not. I've clearly met someone who's actually a lot more busy than I am, um, just clearly just from listening to our conversation before the recording. He is a football commentator. He is also a university lecturer as well. And he has still got work to do in the summer months when everyone believes, even myself included, that it's actually pre-season for commentators. But it's actually not. They're still in season, they're still recording and they're still doing work so people can watch football with the best of experiences. I am delighted to bring everyone our special guest for this week, Gary Taphouse. Gary, how are you doing today? It's good to see you, my friend.
1: Yeah, great, thank you. And, and the, the first thing to say there is, um, it, yes, it is incredibly busy, but you know what? It doesn't always feel like work because you know, we're very, very lucky in that we get to do what we love doing, which is commentating on football, going to football matches, traveling up and down the country, um, speaking to players, speaking to managers, working with great co-coms and great production teams. So yeah. Um, always try and find a job that doesn't feel like work. That's my advice.
0: Brilliant. You you, you just saw one of our questions that uh, we only leave to the end as well. So fantastic. That's really good to hear. Because again, if you're not working in a job that you love, it's not exactly work. It's exactly just what you said as well, which is fantastic. To hear. That's not to say
1: I don't, I don't work hard, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I work incredibly hard. As uh, my family will tell you, um, I'm always either prepping for a game Trap into a game or doing a game or thinking about the next game. Yeah. Um, so, so many people say, what do you do the rest of the week? Because they assume you go to a game on a Saturday and then have the rest of the week off, And that is not how it works. Um, you know, September, October time, if you think about it, I'll do a game on a Saturday, maybe a game on a Sunday as well. I'll have Monday to do a hell of a lot of prep because on Tuesday I'll then have maybe... UA you for Youth League during the day, then go to a championship game for Sky on the, in the evening, then the next day, another championship game, and then Thursday, the Europa League or Europa Conference League, and then Friday, prep for the next weekend. And it just, it's a constant hamster wheel of preparation and commentating. So, um, yeah, it always makes me laugh when people say to me or maybe to my wife, well, What does your husband do the rest of the week? Um, as though I'm just sitting at home, sipping tea and watching homes under the hammer,
0: you know? Um, no, it doesn't happen. Don't be condescending our commentators. They've got lots of work to do. They don't just get their information on all their days just like that as well, which is crazy. Because again, you're looking at, in essence, just from your example there, at least eight, nine different teams that you're watching per week as well.
1: Yeah, that's maybe more sometimes, yeah. Yeah. I mean, basically. we're very lucky with Sky, um, and obviously that's who I mainly work for. Um, we have a fantastic team of statisticians who put together brilliant stat packs for us for the live games and the match choice games. So um, not that that's doing all the work for us, it isn't, but a lot of the basics are there. So we'll get a huge document and some um, various Excel spreadsheets. I know it's a question of us putting it into a format that works when you're on a gantry because only really want two sides of A4. Um, so it's about condensing it down and then finding other stuff as well, because everyone else on the OB will have that information. So the presenters and the guests and the co-com and the directors, they'll all have the same information. So you want to try and have one or two other little bits of information, which they don't have, um, just so you can throw in some useful bits of information equally. I'm not someone who likes to use bucket loads of stats during a commentary, Yeah. um, It's just a personal thing. As a viewer, I find it quite annoying to listen to endless stats. As as much as I like a good stat, as as much as the next person, (laughs) I think it's a question of using them um, sparingly. And only if it's really relevant and really interesting. I think if you're just filling time for the sake of it with a stat, then you're doing it wrong. That's just my opinion. Um, I would rather say nothing at all than just toss in a stat for the sake of it. But, you know, we're all different and every viewer is different and some viewers like hearing lots of stats and some viewers like hearing lots of silence. So one thing about this job, Hamza, that you learn very quickly is that you cannot please everyone. It's impossible. Um, You've just got to do what feels right to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because it's in that day and age now where everyone has their uh, opinions heard, their voices are heard as well on social media, as, as we all understand as well. And it's one of those things that where sometimes you'll see the commentator's name trending or the co-commentator's name trending as well. And it's never good. Yeah, it's, it's never good. You never go, unless it's like Peter Drury who they're like, oh, Peter Drury, his epic is this, is that. And then you're just kind of there like, oh yeah, you're seeing someone from like BT Sport who's on a big Champions League game and they pronounce a name wrong. Or it's someone from Sky Sports and they're like, oh yeah, they're talking about this, 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 and this. Or they're arguing with Jamie Carragher on the co cons or something like that as well. And you're just kind of there like, why does that make the news so often? I, ne- I never really get that personally, because it's just kind of like... You just, know, there's some people would say,
1: well, there's no such thing as bad publicity. If people are talking about you, then it can only be a good thing. Hmm. But <laughs> as we know, if um, if your name's trending on Twitter as a commentator, generally speaking, it's because people are finding you annoying or want you to shut up <laughs> or... As you say, because you've made a mistake, which happens to all of us. You know, I've done 130 games this season. That's 130 times 90 minutes of completely unscripted TV. Mistakes are going to happen. Um, And you have to just accept that. Um, And obviously, you know, you're fair game. As soon as you pick up a microphone, you are fair game for criticism because people aren't necessarily going to agree with everything that you say. And I try not to throw too many of my own opinions in there, to be honest, because I don't think anyone watching really cares what I think. Um, that's why we have co you know, their opinion matters. And if you disagree with them, that's fine. I try to keep it very factual and then let the co-coms um, give their opinion on whether it was a really good attempt or a really poor attempt or um, if they want to criticise individuals, that's up to them. I try not to do that, to be honest, because I don't think that's my job. Unless, it, unless I'm on my own. Like last night doing the England under-19s, I didn't have a co con So obviously then we have to be a little bit more opinionated. Um, I think well, particularly with young players, you don't want to over-criticise because you know, they're still in the early part of their career. So I try and keep it as positive as possible. Um I don't think you're benefiting anyone by just slagging people off relentlessly. Yeah. Um, But as we know, some people do do that. Some co-coms do do that. And um, everyone has their own style. Everyone has their own ideas. And as I say, every viewer likes different things. So you can't please everyone.
0: Absolutely. Yes. It's honestly one of those things that obviously with all the experience that you've had as well, Because, remind me again, you started around 2005 working for Sky, but were you a commentator? Well, that was TV, yeah. I
1: mean, I was in radio for many, many years before that. That Um, In fact, I go right back to university. Um, You know, when I arrived at university, I really wanted to be a commentator, um, but I couldn't see a path to achieving that. And um, as always, with most people you talk to in this industry, you need a little bit of good fortune along the way. And I got that good fortune. I was um, I was at university here in Bournemouth, actually. It was the very first time I'd ever been to Bournemouth. And um, one of my housemates was going out with a cameraman for a local production company, and they'd been given the contract to film Bournemouth's home games. They were a third-tier team at the time yeah. and didn't have much money. And um, I just overheard him saying that they were filming matches, but they didn't have a commentator. And they, they were using someone who was employed by the club that really didn't want to be doing it. So I just leapt in and said, well, yes, I'd like to do that, please. Um, would you give me a go? And he said, yeah, come along to the next game, um, which is against Bristol Rovers and uh, see how you get on. So it was literally him with a camera and me with a microphone attached to the camera. That's it. Um, and you know, I just gave it a go and it went, went fine, it went okay. And they said, Would you want to do some more? And I ended up doing the whole season and also writing and presenting the end of season VHS tape. I'm showing my age there, you probably don't remember those. Hamza, no, I definitely, uh, do. Every I definitely club do. used to um, yeah. produce a VHS end of season review. Um, and that was a really proud moment for me because that ended up going uh, on sale in HMV in Bournemouth and I walked in and saw it It's like wow um, so I left start. university with all of those tapes and, and that end of season tape and to be honest that was probably more valuable than my entire degree because it was like tangible proof of me doing the job yeah. um, and that obviously led on to other things so as I say everyone needs a little bit of good fortune if they're to make it in this industry I don't think there's anyone out there who hasn't had a bit of luck along the way. Um, and, and that was mine. You've still got to grasp those opportunities. You know, if, if something comes your way, you've still got to seize that initiative and, and make a good job of it. Um, but yeah, that led on to me working in local radio. Um, I didn't, that wasn't a full-time job, by the way. I mean, I didn't leave university and go straight into a full-time job in sport. That really doesn't happen very often, actually. I certainly didn't back then. I took a job on my local newspaper as a news journalist. And then at weekends, I was covering matches either for free or for very little money yeah. in local radio. Um, and, and it sort of snowballed from there.
0: So um, for anyone out there kind first... of listening to this, Gary, that it'd be better just to go for the experience in this day and age, just so they actually have something tangible, just like you said earlier as well.
1: Well, it's difficult because when you see jobs advertised and as you know, I tweet a lot of them every day, the kind of minimum requirement is a degree yeah. or an NCTJ qualification. So I think you still have to get that. Not, it's not essential if you've had loads of in- industry experience and that will always count as well. But I think people do expect you to have that industry standard qualification. Um, and then obviously the experience on top of that is absolutely crucial. So that's a really difficult one. I very rarely see jobs come up where they don't expect you to have either a degree or an MCTJ qualification, and you can do one of those in, in a year, actually, um, and work alongside it. So you don't, if people are really anti-university and as you know, it's an expensive business these days, if people really don't want to do that, I, I totally get that, then they can look at those one year options um that's i've recommended
0: that to several people actually so can Um, you just explain what the nctj is just so if yes sorry so
1: that stands for the national council for the training of journalists and there's the ncbtj as well which is broadcast journalists okay um and they have an industry standard qualification which was part of my degree actually and it involves understanding um media law 100 words a minute shorthand Um, and and various other parts of um, public affairs and news writing and all of that. Um, I think, you know, if you're going to go into a journalism job, you do need to have a basic understanding of media law because you can get yourself into a lot of trouble um, otherwise. But as I say, there are shorter courses which cover all of that. Um, And as I say, you can work alongside it. So I think more and more people are doing that. Just because they want to get into the industry quicker um but equally as i say if you if you look at a lot of um job ads in the industry they do want a graduate so it's i think it's still the norm for people in our industry to have come to university
0: no that's brilliant to hear and it's again given a lot of people a lot of good career advice as well so if they are looking at a changing path into broadcasting journalism as opposed to just normal journalism as well they know the right ways of going about it they know exactly what to Get qualified for as well.
1: I get asked more than anything else. How do I become a commentator? How do I become a reporter? And, you know, there's no set path. Uh, if, if, if you interviewed uh, 10 other commentators, they'd all give you a different story. Um, but I think you can give yourself the best possible chance by getting the best possible qualifications, but also alongside that, getting industry experience. So, you know, when you're at university, you do have a fair bit of free time. And that's when you can be approaching um, media outlets or football clubs, non-league football clubs and getting that experience. Because that's what's going to make your CV look um, better than everyone else's. You know, when you leave university, we are churning out thousands of media graduates every single year and they're all looking for the same jobs. So your job is to stand out from the crowd. And you know, if you think that a degree is going to be enough to get you a job in the industry, you're probably going to be mistaken because you're going to be up against people who've worked their socks off during those three years in the industry. Um, and they might have a huge um, ex- a load of examples of work that they've produced and has been published. And obviously they're going to be more attractive as a candidate than someone who hasn't so that's what I always say to people is you need to be getting every bit of experience that you can
0: in the industry because that's what's going to make you stand out from the crowd so you could be like a voiceover artist you could be doing other types of co-commentary with like you said your university even for like a university team as well will show experience if you're to doing it from there as well what about watch-alongs, Gary? Do you, what, what are your thoughts on watch-alongs? Like, you know you see like fan watch-alongs. Like, I've done a few watch-alongs personally for like England and like, Man United, the team that I support as well. I know that probably wouldn't count as commentary, but what are your thoughts on them um, at the moment?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's still broadcasting, isn't it? I mean, you are still, still live to streaming get, yeah, yeah, you're still trying to get a message across. Um, and so are you do, doing that in a way that engages people? Um, I've got to be honest, I don't think I've ever watched a watch along because You're always I'll probably busy. be working or I'll be watching the game. So um, it's an interesting one. Actually, that's a lie. There was one time I was on holiday with my family in Barcelona and yeah. um, the game, there was a Champions League game on which we tried to get tickets for and it was ridiculously expensive. So I said, let's try and watch it um, in our hotel. And actually, they only had the watch along channel. The hotel didn't have the rights to show the game. And and it was interesting. It was very interesting seeing how they did it um, without having any of the pictures. Um, Yeah, I mean, as I say, it's all experience, isn't it? Is it going to be something that you are going to want to show a prospective employer? That's the first question. Um, Is it professional enough? Is it showcasing your abilities and skills? Um, I don't know. That is a simple answer. But... I think if, if you're if you're happy with the work you've produced in that, then yes, it definitely counts. But I think um, I think you've also got to remember that you're someone of your generation is trying to impress a boss who's probably going to be from my generation. So the traditional methods are probably still going to be important. We're still going to be looking for, you know, um, have you written a letter correctly with with the right grammar. Um, you know, the re- really basic stuff. And then are you showing us the really um, important bits of experience, which is, is what you're looking to do? Do you have experience of what you're applying for? And it's, it's that simple, really. That's, that's the basics. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen some CVs. So people message me on Twitter and say, can you look at my CV? Because I'm not getting any joy with these applications. And there'll be people who have fantastic industry experience and they're hiding it in the bottom corner and they made a huge splash of their personal statement which is nothing because that's just their own opinion of themselves mm. and then loads about their education and they'll the experience a really important bit is just buried at the bottom i'm like you need to completely reorganize this look at the job you're applying for look at what the relevant experience is and put that right at the top because that's the first thing that they're going to see And if you've got that experience, then you're on the yes pile, you know? And I just think it sounds so basic, but you wouldn't believe how many of those elementary CV errors I see where people just are not selling themselves. No one else is gonna sell you. You've got to do it yourself. Um, And I just think there, there are lots of people out there that just don't know how to do that effectively. And they've got all this brilliant work in the bank and all this wonderful experience and they're not showcasing it to an employer. And that's why they end up not even getting contacted.
0: That's brilliant advice. Cause again, it's just like you said, no one else is gonna sell it for you, but you, and if you can't do it, then no one else is gonna believe what you can actually do, which makes it completely acceptable to uh, listen to that as well. But yeah, fantastic advice there, Gary. I really appreciate you going through how to become a co-commentator. If I do see you in the gantry in a couple of years time, I have you to thank. So I appreciate that Gary. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, so, I look forward to it. I'm look, Looking forward to it as well, it's gonna be good. Um, But no, now we're on to the fun stuff, um, talking more about how life is as a commentator for Sky Sports. And what I want to get into first, just to kind of pick your brain a bit, it's more of a fan question more than anything from me, Gary. Can I get your top five favourite moments of watching a goal live or a moment live that you saw in a stadium and you had that iconic commentary moment that you remember personally or you thought, you know what, this is why I became a commentator in football?
1: Wow, that's really difficult because, do you know what? When you do so many games, you really don't remember many of them because yeah. you do a game and it's gone and then you're on to the, the next one. And you, don't, you you know, once it's gone, it's kind of filed away. However, you're right, there are, are some that you do really remember, not necessarily for your own commentary, but just because it was such an incredible moment. Um, you know, if I go back to my radio days, there was... Um, a game I'm sure many people will remember in the Champions League between Chelsea and Barcelona mm. um, and under Jose Mourinho. Chelsea won 4-2. Ronaldinho scored that incredible goal at Stamford Bridge.
0: Yeah. Brown. Um, commentating kick.
1: on that. For, yeah, yeah. I was commentating on that for local radio. And that was, you know, that was one of those games that you'll always, always remember. It was just incredible. The atmosphere was amazing. The quality of the football was, was unbelievable. It was a bit against type for Chelsea at the time, because obviously under Mourinho in that, in that spell, they were known for keeping clean sheets. And, you know, once they got the result, shutting up shop. But actually, that's not what happened on that, on that occasion. It was just such an unbelievable night. So I'll always think about that one. Um, in terms of TV, I mean, wow. Um, funnily enough, someone sent me... Um, Jordan you goal for Crystal Palace against West Ham a couple of years ago on Boxing Day, which um, was was incredible. He won it in the 90th minute with a messy type goal where he jinked past players and then did a pirouette and, and dinked it over the goalkeeper. So that's certainly one goal that I'll always remember. The Delhi Alley goal for Tottenham at Selhurst Park when he sort of oh, burst yeah. onto the scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did the commentary for that one alongside Ray Halton, who I remember just grabbed my arm The moment before he spanned because he could see exactly what he was going to do. So I'll always remember that one. Um, Even this season, there was that incredible goal by Jed Spence in the championship for Forest um, when he struck it from 30 yards. And that's actually my pinned tweet at the moment because um, that was probably the best goal I saw this season, I think. And I saw some good ones as well. So um, another one will probably be when Tottenham put nine past Wigan in the Premier League. That yeah. was Roberto Martinez's first season in the Premier League. Um, Harry Redknapp in charge of, of Spurs and I, I'll always remember that game because it was only 1-0 at half time and Tottenham ended up scoring eight goals in the second half. Um, to to make make the five. five. And that was, yeah, that was amazing. Um so yeah, that that was an incredible, uh, I don't think I'll ever see a, a 45 minutes of football like that one. Um, and you just couldn't even see it coming. It was, it was such a nothing game in the first half and then suddenly just exploded in the second half. So yeah, there you go. That's, that's probably the ones I'll think of. As we're talking, I'll probably think of other ones, but just off the top of my head, they're the ones that I'll always, I'll always remember.
0: No, that's brilliant. Because again, it's just off the top of your head as well. So it's the ones that mean more to you from what you just thought about as well. Oh, and the other one, the
1: other one, of course, was um, the highest scoring game ever in the Premier League, which was Portsmouth against Reading. I think I was quite new to Sky at the time and they sent me to that game because I think they thought this will be way down the list, you know. Mm. Um, It was kind of two struggling teams who weren't scoring goals and it ended up being 7-4 to Portsmouth. Um, absolutely incredible game um, Benjani got a hat trick in that match um, yeah that, that, that's still there's never been a match in the Premier League with 11 goals in it that's still the only one so
0: and that was yeah. one of your first and games my commentary wasn't
1: great I was as I say I was quite me so I, I can't watch it because I think my voice sounds terrible but I'll always remember the game
0: do you get to watch yourself back and, and like, analyse yourself like footballers do? And be like, oh, I could have said this here, I could have said that here. Oh,
1: well, listen, every time I leave a game, I always think, why did I say that? Why didn't I say that? Um, why am I only thinking of this really brilliant line now and the game's over? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, you know, that's just normal. I think in any job, you'll always think, oh, if only I'd done that.
0: That's I like with me on the podcast as well. Yeah, like, yeah you'll think a really it. great question once we I'll finish. be like, why didn't I say this about um, this? I've got it. I, I
1: don't like to script anything in advance. So Anything. Uh, maybe just a few lines for when um, we start the show and we're saying welcome to wherever we are. I might write a few lines for that. But everything else is spontaneous off the top of my head because I think that's when you get the best commentary, when it's completely fresh and spontaneous. Um, so, therefore, I don't have any of those pre-scripted, clever lines that some people like. Um, it'll all be just completely spontaneous. Um, and obviously, you, you might pay the price for that because you could think of something afterwards and thought, oh, well, if, if I'd just written that down, that would have been a really good line to throw in. Equally, I think there's a risk that you can sort of stumble over a line if you're reading it and shouting at the top of your voice and you get caught out. So. That's just my own personal style, my own personal opinion. Um, But, you know, sometimes, you know, you might come out with something that you that you were really pleased with. Um, For me, it's more about making sure I don't mess up. (laughs) If I don't mess up, I'm really happy.
0: And if I don't
1: get loads of abusive tweets, that's a win. Um, And if the, the broadcast goes well as a team, as a group, then I'll leave happy. Um, you know, you'll you'll always think oh, I could have done more. I could have said this. Could have said that. Um, but I think that, as I say, I think that's just normal in any job you do. You're, you're always self analysing. In terms of watching it, no, I just don't have time anymore. Back back when I first started, that's the only way you can improve is to watch it back, um, like a sort of horror show, and think, oh my god, why did I say that? Or why am I even talking there? Why don't I just shut up? I think, you know, particularly when you go from radio into TV and you're quite young, you think, I've got to keep talking because I'm being paid to talk. And actually knowing when not to talk is just as important. And I think people prefer it if you don't talk as much. I don't think you'll ever see a tweet saying, I wish this commentator would talk more. (laughs) You know, that's never going to happen. You might get plenty saying, I wish this commentator would talk less. So. Over the years, I've learned to say less during games, and I think it's—I think any commentary is better for that. Yeah. So the great, um, the great cricket commentator Richie Benno—he, he, I'm paraphrasing here—but he said, "If you can think of something important to say, then say it. If you can't, then shut up." Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to follow that advice. And actually. The great Barry Davis, BBC commentator, um, he says something very similar in his autobiography, which I've got on my shelf. And so I try to follow that, really. Like I say, it's, it's harder when you're younger because you feel like you're being paid to talk. Um, but I think, the, you know, I've done thousands of games now, so you, you learn over the years, actually, it's better to say nothing sometimes. Um, so that's, that's what I try and do now
0: let the audience enjoy it in a different way which is definitely the case
1: if you're at a game you haven't got someone telling you who's on the ball all the time have you you know you're there as a fan watching yeah. it. so i think if you've got someone just talking incessantly while you're at home watching a match i just think that's incredibly annoying yeah. unless they really are adding to the pictures
0: adding the value to the game as well it makes yeah. it easy as well um no, thank you for that. And obviously, Richard Bennett, I'm a big cricket fan as well. So I know at cricket, they have those little ear things for the uh, TMS or for the Sky Sports Radio as well. So it's always yeah. good to see them. I was at the Trent Bridge test match last week. So it's quite cool to see that as well. I don't think football would appreciate that for 90 minutes, having someone, something like that in their ear for 90 minutes as well. I understand they'll be too busy drinking and cheering and chanting as well. Very true. Um, no, thank you for that. And then just going through the next part of it, Gary, I just kind of wanted to ask you, with the vast experience that you have had, with the amount of games you have had, commentating at World Cups, at European Championships, and the Champions League, in the Premier League as well, first things first, do you ever get kind of like taken aback? Like you're like, you know what, this is kind of a cool job and I'm continuing to do it year in, year out. You're like, just pinching yourself and thinking back to yourself as a university student, look how far you've come. And second of all, who are your favourite co-commentators to work with?
1: Right. OK. Um, well, the f- first thing to say is I never, ever um, take it for granted because it is the job I wanted to do from the age of 14. So um, to actually be doing it, it does feel like a fantastic privilege. You know, we always want to be doing more. You know, there's a, there's a ladder. You always want to climb it. Um, so, yeah, listen, I'm I'm so, so happy to be doing what I'm doing. You know, there's a price to pay, Hamza, because um when you commentate on football, you are working every weekend. So, you know, when um, when we had kids, suddenly, although I was around a lot during the week, I would suddenly be gone every weekend. And that means missing um, other people's uh, weddings or christenings or your own kids' birthday parties, you know, there's always a price to pay because you're working in, at a time when everyone else is not working. So, therefore... Yeah. <laughs> You know, we, we had our own wedding on a Friday because I knew a lot of the people coming to the wedding would be working the next day. And I wanted to make sure that they, you know, I didn't want them to make the decision between coming to our wedding and working and earning money. Um, and in fact, a lot of people in the industry will do that. So, um, you know, there's, there's, always a, there's always a negative to any job. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't ever take it for granted. In terms of co I mean, that's really interesting because only um, last year, um, I think it might have been during the last lockdown. I, I tried to work out everyone that I've worked with in terms of co coms and I'm up to about 105.
0: And that's over the lo- what last 15 years, 16 years?
1: Well, probably longer.
0: Longer. Uh, so your um, co coms back when you were at Bournemouth like as well?
1: Yeah. Well, I I didn't have one then. Okay. But yeah. What, when when I um, when I started working in local radio. Um, after graduating. So everyone Uh, from there right up to now. And I worked with some new ones this season, actually. So this season, I worked for the first time with uh, Matthew Upson, Karen Carney, Courtney Sweetman-Kirk, who plays for Sheffield United, um, Danny Mills, um, a couple of others, actually, who I worked with for the very first time. Andy Townsend. Mm. um, And, you know... What I found is that the more you work with these people, the better you know them, the better they know you. And you do develop a relationship. So probably the person I've worked with the most over the years in radio and TV is Tony Gale. Yeah. Um, and so we know each other so, so well. We never talk over each other. Um, I know that I can, and I hate the word, but you know, there can be a little bit of banter and there's gonna be no offense. Yeah. Um, I know how far I can push that. He knows how far I can push it. Um, so when you work with someone for the first time, you're still sort of sounding each other out, really. Um, so, yeah, I'm always going to think about the people that I've worked with the most. Um, I've always enjoyed working with David Proven, for example, who I think is brilliant, brilliant co-com. Um, Stuart Robson, who's you know brilliant tactically. You'll hear him on FIFA at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tony Gale, obviously, because I just think he Tony's someone that could just turn up to a game, not even know the teams that are playing, and still provide brilliant analysis of what's going on tactically. Um, some co will turn up with pages and pages of prep, and they've highlighted in different colours, and, and more than me, they've done mm. more prep than me, um, and that you know that, that that works for them. It makes them feel more comfortable, but actually. Um, I think a lot of their job is to analyze what they're actually seeing um, on the day. And it's not about stats. They don't need to throw in stats or um, background. It's more about, well, it's not working down that right side. He needs more help. Someone needs to come across. That person needs to move there. You know, I To me, that's what a COCOM com should be doing. I'm describing what's happening. They need to describe why it's happening. Yeah. Um, so it's very interesting to see how different co-coms prepare, um, and actually, a lot of the newer ones. I think they're the ones who put a lot more work in. Um, it's interesting because you know, you know, we're in a situation where footballers retiring now are obviously um, much wealthier than they were thirty years ago. So if they're if they're doing it now, it's because they really want to be doing it. It's that they're fascinated by the job. Um, and I've got to say they work incredibly hard. the last couple of years I've worked a lot with Lee Hendry, and um, he the, the way he's improved has just been off the scale and the amount of prep he does he, I mean he will ring so many people and um, figure out all the, the tactics and, and the formations and everything well in advance, and he'll know just as much about the teams as I do if not more. So um, yeah, I find that really interesting how there's this huge fluctuation in how co-com prepare. But listen, there's, there, there's never been one that I haven't enjoyed working with um, because I think they all recognise that it is a team effort. Um, there's been some interesting experiences along the way. I'll tell you about one.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, there, was a, <laughs> there was a game at Reading when they were in the Premier League and I was supposed to be with a, a COCOM whose flight had been cancelled. He was flying down from the northeast. Okay. And it was Gordon McQueen, um, yeah. Haley McQueen's dad. And um, yeah, he couldn't. He Former couldn't Leeds player, player so wasn't he? As well. had, sorry, say again?
0: Former Leeds player, wasn't, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, well. yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, legend. Yeah. Um, and a really, really, really good COCOM as well. I was, he was often on soccer Saturday. Yeah. Um, yeah, his flight got the way. So the producers rang me and said, look, you're either going to be on your own or I'm going to try and find a last-minute replacement. And uh, he managed to get hold of Martin Allen, mad dog Martin Allen. Um, and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll be there. I'll, I'll do the game. <laughs> I'd never known anything like it. Um, the very first thing he said was... Um, well, I used to play for Reading, so come on, Reading! (laughs) Um, Immediately um, giving away who he wanted to win, which is not ideal. Mm. Um, Yeah, and all all the way through, there were very hilarious moments. Um, It kind of got lost because it was a nil-nil. I don't think many people watched the rerun for that reason, so it kind of got lost in the mists of time. Um, So, yeah, that's certainly one that springs to mind. But, yeah, listen... I've worked with some brilliant, brilliant co-coms. Um, I don't think people fully appreciate how much work they do. Um, they don't, very few just turn up and and just go through the motions. There's a lot of work involved. And everyone's got their favourites. Of course they have. Um, and, and someone that one person likes, someone else will hate. That is just the nature of the job. Exactly like comms, exactly like presenters exactly like pundits um you've just got to believe in what you're doing and that's why I always tell them if you know I I will give them um tips if they want it on where I think they can improve but ultimately they need to listen back to it and say well I was happy with that I wasn't happy with that and like anything else like my job if the the more you do it the better you'll get
0: yeah only learning from experience and gaining quality from experience as well which is fantastic but no, that's really good to hear, Gary. Um, but yeah, we've got a couple last quick fire questions for you before we wrap mm-hmm. up the podcast. This will be oh, more fun for me than it is for you because you don't know what they are, but they'll, they'll be quite easy ones, to be fair. Um, so of all the games that you've watched, I'm going to ask you for your top three players that you've enjoyed watching, your top three atmospheres that you've enjoyed watching and your top three iconic stadiums that you've enjoyed visiting. And the fourth one is just because I'm a Man United fan, your top Man United moment. So they could have been like on a comeback or on a win or they just lost and you were you're laughing about it forever. So whichever it is is perfectly fine. So well, number one. Man United is
1: easy because I was there at um, Vicarage Road this season, probably gonna solsky last game.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, you're, you're on yeah, that, you on the highlights for that. <laughs> you're on the highlights for that as well, I remember. It was really annoying. Um, yeah, so that, as well. that's
1: easy. Um,
0: Gosh, so top three
1: atmospheres. Well, look, I'll tell you the best one straight away. Um, Champions League, Liverpool versus Chelsea, 2005. Very famous game. You may remember um, Lewis Garcia's ghost so goal, strong. as Mourinho called it. Uh, not a great game at all. In fact, it was an awful game. But yeah. the, the noise was absolutely incredible. I was there for local radio in London and um, I was at at Anfield and the producer in my ear said during an ad break, Gary, you've got to turn the Atmos mic off because we can't hear you. And I said, I haven't got an Atmos mic. (laughs) There isn't (laughs) one. So everything you're hearing is just coming through our little headset here. Um, And that's how deafening it was. I've never experienced noise like that. It was absolutely unbelievable and I think if you talk to anyone who was playing in that game or was working on that game they'll tell you the same thing Um, I I don't remember much about the match at all apart from the ghost goal and the sheer noise Um, that was truly unbelievable Um, so that's that's the easy one for that, number one yeah Um, Iconic stadiums. I mean, I was very lucky to be covering Chelsea in the Champions League during that spell. So I went to the New Camp several times. Um, I mean, we were miles from the pitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were actually right at the back and beyond the corner flag. So
0: yeah, the I was going goal- to ask you. About- you know with the new camp stadium that it is, is it, you know when you see the camera angle? Because that's far back as well, anyway. Yeah. Was it further back than the camera angle as well? Like further in further the stadium?
1: back, but also the camera angle is middle of the pitch. So we were right back there beyond the corner flag. Mm. So the goal over there, you I mean you could barely see it. It's
0: getting the binoculars um, out literally.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I was covering Chelsea every week at the time, so I knew the players even when they were like dots. So yep. that was fine. But um, yeah, we actually were in a little cabin, which is very unusual. Um, normally, you're just out on a normal seat with a bench uh, mm. or the desk in front of you. We were in a little cabin, um, and it, it felt like you were watching it from a drone or something. You know, it was just so far away. But, you know, what a stadium. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to love going to Highbury back in the day um, as much as, you know, the Emirates is an incredible venue. I don't think it even compares. And I actually used to love working at Upton Park as well. I don't think the London Stadium is even, you can't even compare quite honestly. Yeah. Um, for atmosphere as well, Upton Park was always fantastic. It's such a shame that they just couldn't find a way to expand it the way they wanted to. Um so yeah, there's another another place I loved working. Um, I'm I'm really really grateful I got the opportunity to do some games at Highbury because I thought that was just the most beautiful stadium. Um, I I actually really like the old fashioned stadiums, Hamza. I love going to Selhurst Park. Um, I love going to Goodison Park. um it's a vitality I'm, I'm less kind of like a that as well. Of, yeah, I'm I'm less of a fan of the really new stadiums. I went to Main Road a couple of times. Um, I thought that was brilliant as well.
0: When the fans are literally Um, on top of you, when it's an enclosed environment as well. Exactly. You feel the pressure boiling.
1: You know, it it just all feels... A a lot of the newer stadiums just feel a bit sanitised. You know, the Dell, another one. You know, I was there for the very first game of the new St Mary's, and it just felt like it's another um, stadium. Out of a box, you know, it it didn't feel like it was special. Whereas going to the Dell, you know, incredibly intimidating, incredibly noisy, um, just a unique experience. And I'm not having a go at St. Mary's, I've been there dozens and dozens of times, and actually, they do get a very good atmosphere there. Um, it just doesn't feel as special
0: as it did before, so yeah, because all of the stadiums now. No, that, that really did. Um, sorry, I was just going to say, with the stadiums one as well, because all the stadiums, are how they're designed, they're designed to the architecture's design and for the aesthetic of a pleasing stadium. But it's not as good as in terms of, as a fan perspective as well. Because just like you said with hybrid, when everyone's on top of you, you're literally like within, arm, arm's length, uh, within arm's length of a player. And now at the Emirates, you've got all that back in, so you're not really close to fans as you once were as well. Maybe yeah. for safety reasons, but you can't see really... Safety is them.
1: obviously part of it, but also... The idea was to improve the fan experience in the concourses, better facilities, um, which a lot of the old stadiums didn't have, let's be honest. Um, You know, and perhaps I'm looking at it slightly nostalgically as well. Um, I'm just talking about, as a commentator, going to those older stadiums. I just thought that was the most incredible experience. And, you know, a lot of them felt louder because it was more enclosed, as you say, right on top of the pitch. Um, Roker Park another one at Sunderland went there a few times and um, Mm. it wasn't pretty but it was incredibly atmospheric Um, and in fairness I think the Stadium of Light is one of the new stadiums which really does generate a fantastic atmosphere and um, I think you know I think we'd all like to see that stadium back in the Premier League at some
0: point. Um, That atmosphere is ridiculously electric, crazy in the Premier League. Yeah, especially true. when you see it on Netflix as well you're just kind of there like yeah it's not yeah, true. true it's not right seeing it on Netflix let alone in League One it's very odd to see it like that as well but now they got promoted I think so it's, it's all good that's how I've had Sunderland, they Sunderland. Um, but yeah that last question your top three players that you've enjoyed watching over your years of commentating
1: yes okay well obviously um, you know I'm, I'm not going to come up with anything particularly outrageous here I mean I'm lucky he sort of commentated on Messi, uh, quite a few Messi games over the years. Um, I remember one game I did for Sky, actually, Barcelona against Lyon mm. in the Champions League, and he scored a fantastic individual goal in that game. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's got to be number one. Um, Ronaldo is a diff- different one because I, I've commentated on him a few times, and I can't think of many times when he's actually produced an incredible performance. Um was that for was Man United one, and
0: Real Madrid as well?
1: There was there was one for Real Madrid I did actually in a pre-season game. Yeah. It was against Chelsea oh, okay. in America. And um he scored an unbelievable header, which um which definitely springs to mind. And I've got to mention Ronaldinho as well with that goal at Stamford Bridge. And actually a few years ago, I had the pleasure of working with him because um me and um Good friend of mine, Mark Scott, who commentates the match of the day. Um, we've been pals for years and we were invited to commentate on the Champions League final on board a Heineken yacht wow. in the middle of the Sea, um, with a specially invited audience of guests who were sort of sitting on white beanbags on board this yacht with a huge screen and us commentating alongside it. And yep. Raldinho was um, was the guest of honour. We got to we got to commentate on him playing beach football as well with his brother. Um, so yeah, I'm a bit biased there because I got to meet him and have my picture taken with him. So um, I'd ha- I'd have to include him. But what you know, what a player! Even now, e- even watching him play beach football now, the the touch was just off the scale. Um, so yeah, a listen. That, I know that's not very original, but they would certainly be the three that immediately spring to mind. Just be for just you know, mind. when you see them up close as well, you know, there's something. As you know, going to games, there's it's something a bit different when you see them running off the ball. You don't necessarily see on camera. Yeah. Um, or how they dictate and play like, just by their stuff. position as well. Totally. Mm. Yeah, you really do understand it and just how good they are. Um, plenty of other. Players as well. Um, over the years that I've so just loved you, you can make it
0: five. Up. We are a five-a-side podcast. So you yeah, yeah, Ronaldo, Messi, um, Ronaldinho. I'd, I'd, I'd
1: have to put Berbatov in there. Okay. Um, um but Tottenham and, and United. I, I mean, you know, and and his other clubs. I mean, I, I've seen so many of his outstanding performances. Uh, um, Were you there, there for the
0: Blackburn the top- game when he scored five?
1: No, no, that wasn't me. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure who that was. It wasn't me, though, unfortunately. Um, I remember a game at White Hart Lane might have been against Wigan again. Actually, I think it might have been against Wigan <laughs> once more. They they didn't For put nine past them, but they they did wallop them, and he scored an unbelievable goal in that game. Mm. Um, so yeah, he he would definitely be another one. I'm, I'm racking my brains because I think there, there are so many, but who have got that extra little bit of X factor? It's... Outside of those sport, right at the moment, I'm struggling. David Silva is another one, obviously. Um, I'm sorry to bring up another non-Man United player. But, no, um, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta I, appreciate
0: I, greatness of <laughs> David Silva there as yeah,
1: well. Yeah, I mean just incredible and again another one that you perhaps appreciate even more seeing in the flesh just made it look so easy didn't he yeah um just a brilliant brilliant footballer um and I've got to comment on a few of his goals as well I think I've got I think I'll commentate on his 50th Premier League goal if memory serves me right I generally don't go up to Manchester too often for Sky because just geographically it makes sense for me to be down south as I live on the south coast but occasionally it does happen. Um, I haven't been to Old Trafford for a very long time, Hamza. I must that's be right. honest. That's I think okay. it, it must be about 10 years since I've been to Old Trafford for a game.
0: But the main um, thing is you missed out on the worst 10 years. So it's absolutely yeah, fine as well. Yeah. You're, saving yeah, yourself that's for, true. you're saving yourself the boredom as well of going to watch a You needed game to have know. been
1: born 10 years early, didn't you, to fully appreciate it?
0: Yeah, like for me, like I was, for me growing up, like everyone knows from listening, but for you, it's like me growing up from like the 2001, 2002 season and onwards from there as well. So again, it's just for me, seeing the likes of like Beckham, Keane, Giggs, goals in your midfield, Van Nistelrooy, Andy, Cole, seeing Berbatov playing for Bayern Leverkusen against us. That's how old I am. That's showing my age there as well, which is great. Um, but no, honestly, it's one of those things that I'm just kind of there, like. Even with Man United at the moment, I, I can accept the pain because it's been happening for so long now as well. But it's just nice to enjoy other people's enjoyment in football as well. And that's why it's quite cool to kind of learn that. Even with players like David Silver, people are like, oh, yeah, you used to play for Man City. But you get to appreciate it. You can players appreciate players. it, of
1: course. But I think so, for me, growing up, um, it was just Manchester United winning everything. It just got so boring.
0: <laughs> it wasn't boring for I me when I was a, lot, up. a lot
1: of people are really enjoying this time, Hamza.
0: Yeah, I don't blame them at all. Because again, when we were growing up, it was the, op- it was the opposite way for me. So I am just kind of there like, yeah, it's fine. It's okay. I don't mind it. But all great dynasties come to an end eventually, which is, which is the case. Um, I don't think we're going to be back Do you know anytime what?
1: It just come to me. The la- I think the last Man United game I did was at QPR. And Raphael scored that incredible goal. Do you remember? Off this road. Yeah. When um, Van Persie
0: fell into that camera. Dish.
1: Well, yeah. And, and Van Persie had a go at me after the game, right? Because... Mm. Um, as you say, he crossed the ball in and then fell into the camera pit. Yeah. And um, I interviewed him afterwards, and, and he came storming up to me and said, You want to watch where you put your cameras? And I was like, Nothing to do with me. That camera <laughs> has been it? there for decades. <laughs> Don't fall into it. Mm. Um, but yeah, what an unbelievable goal that was. Um, so, what, what year would that have been? 2012? There you go. 20- yeah, 2012. I was like, that was the last time I did Man United. 2013,
0: yeah. Because I think you did that. I think you did that season as well. At that one, um, you did Man United versus Fulham, and you did Van Persie's first goal against Fulham as well. Were you at Old Trafford for that? I don't. Because I, I remember you. I don't I didn't it, remember I, that at all. It may not have been you, but you know when Sky Sports do those VTs, and you can hear like yeah. different commentators and stuff like that. I just remember you shouting Van Persie a lot. So I don't think be, that's me. It may I don't have been that's me. Okay, because it's rather that one, or you had a game against it was Reading at home, um, and they Man United won four three or five three. It's one of those random comebacks we had when we played the Diamond, and everyone hated Man United. I, 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 I don't
1: think that's me either. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. I might be wrong. I, I remember being there for a home game against
0: Norwich.
1: You're mm. really testing my memory because, like I say, you do so many games, and you know they all. They all merge into one. You might, you might be right. You might be right. Um, I, need, I need to, I need it's to just, find it's a It's just start. one of those teams that I, I don't do very often, simply for geographical reasons.
0: Yeah, and that's a down south as well. And they could be down south in Bournemouth next season for the Premier League.
1: They could be. They I, could, I'm yeah. hoping to be at Vitality myself quite a lot next season because it's about two miles from my house. <laughs> and, uh, when they got relegated, it was terrible for me. <laughs> Um that that season with the with, with the pandemic interrupted it, I yeah. think I did over half their home games that season. And I'm not a Bournemouth fan, but I've got to be honest, I was really hoping they'd stay up. Yeah. And um and they didn't. So, and since then I've done I've done a few in the championship, but not nearly as many as I will hopefully do for Match Choice next season. Villa at home on the opening day. I very much hope to be there, Hamza. And That'd if be, there isn't,
0: I'll be very unhappy. <laughs> Bournemouth in August—what a place to be for Premier League football as well. That'd be fantastic to see. Um, but no, it's been one of those podcasts where I've just been filled with joy just chatting about football and learning more from you as well in a in a work sense, in a business sense as well. And. Obviously, as a fan, so it's been fantastic. The, to, the
1: great thing is, we commentators love the sound of our own voices, so we come on these podcasts and just talk and talk. That's, that's <laughs> all right with me. I'll happily t- I'll
0: happily take that every day of the week. You're welcome anytime back on the podcast. It is great to uh, to talk and to learn from you as well. One last question that I'll ask you, um, just now, um, Gary as well. You know, when you go to like the World Cup and you do like European Championships and stuff like that, do you get to travel out or are you kind of in a studio? Cause I know there's so many games that you commentate per week. In terms of like mileage, do you have to actually go to every kind of ground physically, even before the pandemic, or is it like in a studio that you can kind of record?
1: Um it's a mixture. Okay. Um so for example, when I worked on the World Cup in Russia, I didn't do any of those from Russia. That was mm. the talk sport, we did them all from London. The the Euros in France, we did go to some of them. And actually, I didn't work on the last um, European Championship. I think they went to every game. Yeah. So there is it is, it is a mixture. I mean, during the pandemic, everything changed because so much was done studio-based. Not Premier League. Premier League, we still went to every match. Right. But obviously, travel was massively restricted. So um, as I'm sure you know, some commentators ended up doing some games from home yeah. The very first time ever because the technology allows us to do that i didn't do anything from home i've got to be honest um but but some did and i think there were probably one or two bean counters in the industry thinking well hang on a minute do we need to have commentators at every single game can they not do some from studios because we've proven we can do it um, what they don't appreciate is when you're there at the game You talk to people beforehand and you get a feel for what's happening. You might get little bits of information. I always chat to the local radio guys who cover the teams on a regular basis because they might have heard bits and pieces which I haven't heard.
0: Mm. You can
1: ask them about individual players. And it's just about the colour and the atmosphere, which you obviously don't get if you're just watching a screen. Um, And also, there are things that the director misses. You know, I'm sure you've been watching a game where... They've had a close-up of something and then suddenly the ball's in the net and you have no idea what's happened yeah, so if you're exactly. commentating off those pictures how are we supposed to know what's happened whereas if you're there at the game you will have seen exactly what happened in the build-up so it's always preferable to be there even if it means there's a lot more of your day taken up um you know you, there's nothing like being i didn't become a commentator to sit in a booth commentating off a screen mm. sometimes it happens probably I don't know I, I haven't worked it out but it must be about 60% of the games we're there and maybe 40% we're we're in a studio that would be my guess um, because you know Europa League we can't they can't fly everyone out all over Europe to cover Helsingborg versus Shakhtar or whatever you know you, you sometimes like when a, you did the you know, AFCON as well as well yeah, yeah. sorry again
0: sorry, could- sorry. So you did um Afcon this year as well, Sky Sports, didn't you? As well? Yeah, yeah.
1: So obviously that was all done from Sky. That was quite a um, that was quite a late shout that, that one, and I really really enjoyed working on Afcon. Um, great great tournament. I mean, mm. if if you're talking about colour and atmosphere, um, wow, I thought it was brilliant. Um, and I, I did a few of the Cameroon games, obviously the hosts, and that was that was incredible. Really, enjoyed. and we worked with some great co-coms there as well. Leroy Messina, who was obviously a Sierra Leone international, um, I, did, I did quite a few games with him, great guy, and really, really knows his stuff as well when it comes to African football. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd say most games were there, but it's inevitable that there'll be plenty when we're not. And it is a real skill because we're not seeing anything that you as viewers are not seeing. So, you know, you're trying to add to pictures that people can see and you can't see anything else. And a lot of the time we won't even know which subs are coming on. Obviously, when we're there on site, we'll have floor managers telling us, oh, so and so is going to be coming on soon. We're just relying on the pictures. So yeah, it's it's a definite, it's a different sort of skill for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. A different respect for it as well, especially for the audience as well when they know about things like this as well. So it's just literally you're watching what we're watching and you have to bring value to it, like you said before, which has been fantastic. Um or try to. Or try to. <laughs> nah, you definitely do. You, you definitely do, Gary. From what when I've heard you before, so it's perfectly fine. Because even with some of them, you'll just be like, are they there? Are they not there? So that's why. Well, to if you can't tell, about. that's good, and
1: that yeah. is great credit to these the sound guys who who get the mix absolutely right. Um, you know, sometimes you get caught out because there might be a problem with the pictures that cut out. There might mm. be a satellite problem, and then you're like, ah, <laughs> what yeah. do we do now? <laughs> Because we've literally got nothing. And then, and the key there is just to shut up and pretend that you've been cut off as well. Because um, you can't commentate on something you can't see. However yeah. skilled you are.
0: Just just literally just getting a drink of water and just waiting for it to reappear as well. Perfect time as well, which is fantastic. I hope it does. Pray hope, it does. Definitely. <laughs> no, that's really good to hear. Um, but yeah, we are at the end of the podcast. Gary, thank you very much for your time today. It's been really fantastic. To learn from you, to hear from you, and to uh, understand a bit more about football commentating in English football and in uh, world football as well, which has been fantastic to see. You've given us so many pieces of, of advice. So, if there is anyone out there listening um, who wants to become a commentator, if they can come out to contact you, what would be the best way for. Yeah, well, I mean,
1: let, just follow me on Twitter at, at Gary House because, um, you know, I do post a, a jobs every single day in the industry and not just jobs, but internships as well. Um, my dms are open um, i get people messaging me every single day i always reply it might take a lot of time because you know i'm a busy man but i will always try and get back to you so yeah anyone uh, wants to follow me
0: or get in touch with me
1: just um just come on
0: to twitter brilliant uh, it's been fantastic to hear and it's been a pleasure to have you on our podcast today like i said if you want to come back on any time gary you're more than welcome and it'll be great to maybe obviously co-commentate with you in the future <laughs> if i if shall uh, go through that way as well which would be good um but no, everyone thank you very much for listening do for, follow gary on twitter um, going forward i'll leave the link in the description below which would be fantastic to see uh have a lovely week ahead gary thanks for your time again thank, thank you yeah take cheers you. all the best with it thank you take care goodbye